0: Well, obviously, this is, I guess, really, you could say the most important day to the Christian. Um, If Jesus Jesus did not rise, like Paul said, if, if there is no resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise, then we're of all men most miserable. But Jesus is risen. And he says many things there. He says, if Jesus didn't rise, he says, my preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We're still dead in our sins. There's no hope of tomorrow. But Jesus is risen, and what he means is our faith is not in vain. My preaching is not in vain. We're not of all men most miserable, and we do have a great hope for tomorrow. It's a very promising, it's more than promising, really. It's a certainty. It's a certainty. And that's what I'm going to end up closing with, but I want to get into... <clears throat> the title of my sermon was going to be what Jesus said on the cross, his last words, it is finished. Actually, after he said it is finished, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But before he went into that grave, that was, in a sense, his, his dying message there. It is finished. And in those three words, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm not exaggerating. I, I could preach those three words till the day I die. What does it mean? It what? What is finished? How is it finished? How did he do that? Why did he say that? What does it mean to me? How does it apply to me? And that's what I want to unpack for you a little bit today, but it happened to dawn on me this morning that what I'm doing today or what I'm going to try and do a little bit today, I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface because it's a lifelong thing to learn of. But what I'm doing is actually what Jesus himself did when he came out of the grave on Resurrection Sunday, uh, a- after that passage that's painted on my wall right there, uh, when the when they found the empty tomb and they were there was some confusion. I mean, I, I think it's so awesome when I, when I go back in my mind to that day and try to put myself there. It's amazing to me that the apostles didn't really understand, you know, that he was going to come out of there. Um, and of course, after he did, he re- he showed himself alive to them, but. On that day, on that first day on Resurrection Sunday, he came up behind two apostles that was rock, walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking, and they were like, you know, they were downtrodden basically. They were a bit disheartened, they because they didn't understand the fullness of what we have. The, we have the benefit of hindsight. Um, they didn't have that yet, and they were like, man, you know, and here we, we, you know, we thought he was the Messiah, and and he's been dead three days, and they were. Their faith was kind of hanging on threads there. And Jesus comes up and he walks alongside them. But it says something. It says, and he began to expound to them all things concerning himself in the scriptures beginning at Moses. And that's actually what I want to do. I can't do all things. I mean, I'm only going to have time, like I said, to scratch the surface. But what he actually did on his, uh, his, if you want to say it's a sermon, it's not recorded for us what he said. It's just recorded, well, it's the, the, the category of things that he said is there. We don't, we're not told exactly what he said to them. But he started back at Moses and began to show them and to enlighten their understanding. It actually uses that. He opened the eyes of their understanding and began to show them things of himself in the scriptures. And so really both go hand in hand. It is finished. That's what we're going to be looking at. But really what, I'm, what we're doing is kind of like we're the, we're the apostles, so to speak. We're not really apostles, but we're on the road to Emmaus here. And Jesus is here talking with us and showing us things concerning himself in the scriptures. And so that's what I want to do. We're going to be looking at it is finished. What is finished? Briefly, the most brief way to say it would probably be all the work that the Father sent him to do. All of the work that the Father sent him to do. Salvation. All of the work of salvation. But there was more than just that. That's that's the primary thing as far as we're concerned. But it was fulfilling all of the types and shadows, the foretellings, the sort of I look at these, what I call types and shadows, like, what is a type? Well, like Noah's Ark was a, a type. It was something that prefigured the Messiah that would come, and I'm going to show a little bit of that. So when I say type and shadow, so that you understand what I mean, that's what I mean. The Passover, that was a that was a shadow of what would be a future substance. It's, sometimes I visualize these shadows as, well, again, the rock which Moses smote. We'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. But... The way it's worded is as though Christ was standing upon that rock and his shadow is being cast over that rock. And so when I think of these shadows, that's literally what I mean. It's like here's the light of truth and it's shining and it's casting a shadow across Jesus Christ. And what they saw in the Old Testament was the shadow. And in each shadow, each type, Showed us something unique about Christ, and that's what I want to show you. But it wasn't, so it wasn't just salvation being accomplished, that was it, but it was also the when all of the shadows prophesied in the Old Testament. That's how I look at them, they were prophecies of the gospel. It was the gospel illustrated in objects and images and things, miraculous things that happened. So not only did he do that, but he also fulfilled all scripture concerning the coming of Messiah. He also was the mediator at that time. He, he was the transitioning thing between an old and a new covenant. And so we're going to get into all of these. And I, I will hurry. I'm not going to be like super long-winded about it, but I don't want to rush too much. I don't have passages for you to turn to, or we'd just be we'd be spending all day turning the Bible to these passages, but I have very familiar accounts of Scripture that y'all are all familiar with, and that's what I want to look at. And as I go through these... What I want you to try and do. I'm going to highlight some of the obvious things that this this certain miraculous event in history that we're going to look at. I'm going to highlight some of the obvious things that that kind of pointed to that Jesus would do. You can think of them for yourself. There may be some that stand out to you personally that maybe I'm not going to highlight here. I don't have time to get into every detail of how the ark prefigured christ or how the passover prefigured i don't i don't have time to get into every detail but what i do want to show you is it's very amazing my friends it's very amazing once you have come once once the holy spirit of god has indwelled you and you get into the word and you begin to read and understand i could show you and i will show you and you could show someone else hopefully the whole gospel and never even open the new testament never even open it and it's so amazing to me because the Old Testament was written and complete 400 years before Christ came. And most, most of what we're actually going to look at today was thousands of years before Christ came. And and, and it's, it's so amazing to me this. People say, you know, the Bible, how do you know the Bible is the word of God? Man, because it proves itself across time and history and over and over and over and over again if we have eyes to see but so that's what we're going to do spend the first few minutes looking at certain things that happened or were prophesied that now with this understanding this benefit of hindsight if we could time travel back in time when we would see these things happening we would say oh so there's a messiah coming oh and he's gonna shed his blood oh And through his bloodshed, sins will be covered. Sins will be forgiven. Oh, through manna reigning from heaven, he'll sustain his people. These are prefigures. These are types of what Jesus Christ spiritually is accomplishing in all that believe. The first one I just wanted to look at was actually the very first prophecy in the Bible. It's from Genesis chapter 3. I don't even know the exact verses because I didn't put them down here. I'm just familiar with the story, and y'all are too. Immediately after the fall... Of Adam and Eve in a way God comforted them with a prophecy and he said the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent King James uses the word bruise but it's it's more than it's more severe really than what we think of when we think of bruise it really means to completely conquer to destroy. It says the serpent would bruise his heel, but he was going to crush the head of the serpent. And I think about, here's one thing. This is what I'm saying. This is one of the many things that Jesus accomplished. See, that's not only a prophecy that a Savior would come, but it's also a prophecy that the Savior would destroy the wicked one. And through the cross through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is exactly what happened. That's not the only thing that happened, but that's one of the things that happened. And my friends, you know, I'm sure that you understand this. You can't do that. You can't conquer Satan. You cannot do it. Now, of course, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. I believe that. All that believe have the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, the Bible says if you don't have the Spirit of God, then you're none of His. So every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God does empower us to resist the devil and things like that. But That's not what I'm talking about, but let's put our let's put our minds where Adam and Eve's minds may have been. There's no hope here, you know. I, they have essentially traded their soul for the world, essentially, and they, they have no hope. And so it's one thing for God to give him the prophecy to say, oh, there will be a seed of the woman come. Well, that's good, but hey, if the seed of the woman ain't going to crush the head of the serpent, death still has dominion over us. So one of the things, when Jesus says, it is finished, one of the things that was finished was the defeat of the enemy of man's souls, Satan. It's a very important thing to remember. And again, I'm probably going to recap a lot because I really want to make sure that y'all get the picture here. When I'm done talking about these different things that Jesus fulfilled and you take a look at them and you say, oh, that's what he done. Oh, that's what he done. And you begin to apply in the end. You say, oh, that's what he done for me. Oh, that's what he done for me. Oh, that's a promise that I have. Oh, that's a blessing that I have. Oh, that's a security that I have. Oh, that's a peace that I have. All of these things that Jesus did, we're going to look at, have come upon you that believe. It's powerful. It's very powerful. When you actually look at the gospel story being told out through all of these types and shadows in the Old Testament, you cannot help but sit back and say, thank you, Jesus, and rejoice in your heart honestly. You cannot help but go to bed and reflect on these things and say, man... He did it all he did it all there's nothing left for me to do but just believe and follow him so that was the first one that he would crush the head of the serpent. he certainly did that I, these are not in any necessarily particular order I did kind of put them in a biblical chronological order but they're not in an order of like one's more important than the other one of the next pictures I wanted to look at of Christ in the Old Testament that I just feel sure I personally feel sure that when he was walking with those disciples and he was showing them all things concerning himself in the scripture i feel sure that he stopped and took a minute to talk about the ark of noah the ark of noah and by the way guys also each one of these things i'm going to talk about are miracle things they were signs there's a lot of things that happened in the old testament that was very natural very earthly so to speak but when god supernaturally intervened miraculously he did it for a reason and each time God miraculously intervened in history. If we look at those times, those times teach us something about Christ. But one of those times was the ark. Don't think for a second, my friends, <coughs> that, the, that the ark of Noah, first of all, don't think that it wasn't a literal ark, because it was. And I'll defend that to the day I die. Don't think that the world wasn't actually covered with water, because it was. And I'll defend that until the day I die. But the ark itself, also don't think it was just purely natural. Don't think that Noah saved himself by the work of his hands because he didn't. When you actually look at the flood and all things concerning the flood and the judgment of God, it was, that's really what it was. The judgment of God that came upon the world. I've said this so many times. To me, after studying it out, looking at its effects left on this earth, the greatest miracle of all that was not that the world was covered with water, but that that ark did not sink. That thing, I mean a wooden boat. And I'm sure Noah was quite the architect. But God told him exactly how to build it and how big it needed to be. And then he brought the animals two by two and some of the clean by sevens or pairs of seven, depending on how you read that. But when you, one of the things I want you to think about with the ark is there's, there's two things that I know that was not on that ark, a steering wheel or a rudder. When you're in Christ, you're in Christ. And being in that ark was a picture of being in Christ. When you're in Christ, Christ is in the driver's seat. It wasn't as though, here's the picture. Now think about this. There was literally raging waves, tidal waves. I mean, we can look in the geologic record and see that there were earthquakes on a scale that humankind, can, you can't even comprehend. We know that there was sedimentary deposits that literally washed across the entire continental United States. I mean, this is a whole lot of stuff I won't get into, but look it up sometime and you'll be amazed. It, it amazes me when I think about what it looked like during that time. To also know that this is not the picture. It wasn't as though Noah was up there at the stern and, oh got big waves are coming! You gotta go this way! You gotta go that way! Oh. The water hasn't completely covered the mountain peak yet, and we're about to crash into that. He was not navigating his way through surviving the flood. That's not what happened. You know, he actually couldn't even see out. There was only one window, and he could see out if he climbed up, apparently, and looked out, because at one point he did let the birds out of the window. But he was in there, and I'm sure hearing the earth growl and moan and reel to and fro, and hearing animals... As they were being killed off. And hearing all kinds of things. But I believe that he was in there in peace. I believe that the animals were in there in peace. Honestly, I really do. And when you're in Christ. That's one of the things that he'll do for you. Not only did he crush the serpent for you. Not only did he defeat Satan for you. But he'll defeat for you. All of your earthly enemies. And Now I don't mean that that means you're going to be rich. And all that kind of stuff. My friends, if you put your faith in Christ. Exactly like that song said there should be no fear in death. There should be no fear. And if you've put your faith in Christ, you the Bible says it many times. I was actually going to preach a sermon on this one time of how many times it says in Christ. In Christ. It says we are in Christ. And I think about that just like Noah was in the ark. We are he is he is the one who's steering the boat. And when you really think and realize and recognize, hey, this is God teaching us something through this event. This is God teaching us something about Christ. First, that there was one door. And when Noah went in, it says, God shut the door and sealed it. He was sealed in there. He was safe and secure from all harm. He really was. Nothing was going to bring that boat down. Nothing. I mean, it was the worst catastrophe that the universe has ever seen. And the boat made it. And when you're in Christ, my friends, what has Jesus accomplished for you? He's accomplished that. He is your ark. He is how you're going to rise off of the earth. In Noah's case, by floating on the waters. Now, like I said, I don't mean that that doesn't mean you're going to have trials. It doesn't mean that Noah wasn't in there having to work and feed animals and all that kind of stuff. But you can rest in peace. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that peace is when you're in Christ. And that is one of the miraculous things that was pictured that he would do. And when we think about it, it's amazing. Another one. This is probably the most popular one worldwide. And it's the foreshadow of Christ that was given through Abraham and Isaac. Y'all know this story well. God had called Abraham and Abraham believed. And God had promised Abraham a son. And that his name would be Isaac. And Isaac was born and he was a young man here. And then God says something very interesting to Abraham. He says, I want you to go and offer your son, your only son and the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Abraham believed God accounting that he was able to raise Isaac from the dead if, so, if that was the case because he had already promised that things were going to come through Isaac but one of the things that was really standing out to me personally when I was thinking about that that Christ did is and this one touches me when I really think about it perhaps too deeply at times but Jesus Christ don't ask you to sacrifice your son God is not asking us to sacrifice our sons Said, it actually says in that passage, Abraham said, son, God will provide for himself a burnt offering. God will provide for himself. You see, God's sin that his son should be important to us in a lot of ways. Why do I say that? You know, in the Old Testament, there are several records of the false gods of the pagans requiring the blood of your son. It actually says that, that they sacrificed their children unto Molech and other Names of these pagan gods, and I actually think if we look at the religious history of the world, I've often said I would like to go back and, and and look at the history of all of mankind through a spiritual lens. I think that a lot of what these other religions have done through the years, like the Mayans and the Aztecs and the Olmecs and all these people that they, you know, I mean, if you know the story of the Mayans, how did you please the gods? You had to, they would take a child and cut its heart out, its beating heart. And then they would cast it into these things called Sakotes. That's the way of the world's belief system. That's the way of worldly religions. And I think it's actually, my opinion is, it's probably a corruption of this one, the one truth. You see, God never asked us to sacrifice our children. And yet, he did send his son for us. And part of the miracle there is, sure enough, as Abraham... Was following through in faith. God stopped his hand and said no. Don't do that. Don't do it. And an angel of the Lord was there talking to him. Which if you study that. I, well, I won't even get into that. But there was a bullock in the thicket there. And he took that. And that whole thing was foreshadowing what God would do. For his people. But to me it's precious. God wants our heart. But he doesn't literally want you to to cut it out like all of the corrupted religions of the world have tried to make it into. And it's also precious. Well, again, as the song says, how deep the Father's love for us, that he would send his son instead of requiring yours. If you think of how much you love your son, surely that moves you. You know, surely. Well, if you believe the word, then you believe that God the Father loves God the Son, that the Father loves Jesus more than you love your own children. And He's saying that He loves you or all that would come to Jesus in the same way. It's very amazing to me. It's very powerful. What I mean is, God the Father is saying. That his love for his own son, I don't think it's heresy to say it's matched by his love for all that come to his son. That he loves you. I mean, that's what the Bible says. That he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him would not perish. So it's a promise of love. It's a promise of not just love for you, but love for your children. And I, again, when I say come to Christ, I'm talking about coming in faith. If you've come to Christ in faith, if you've been born again, my friends, you're called a child of God. Adopted into the family of God. Jacob had a vision of a ladder that reached to heaven. And we're actually told in the New Testament, Jesus said, I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, if he's saying the day's coming or what, but he said, that you would see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I'm that ladder that Jacob saw. That was me. And when we think about it, in the time of Jacob, a Messiah hadn't come yet. And honestly, if you think about everything that Jesus has done, guys, without Jesus, there is no pathway to heaven. There, is, there is no, It doesn't matter to me how good you are and how much you hope. Without Jesus Christ, there is no ladder to heaven. There is no path to heaven. There is no door to the ark. And that's what Jesus Christ is for all that believe. He's the access. Through him, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. That's the way Paul words it. And that ladder to heaven, I think Jacob surely understood that ladder is going to be the son of god that ladder pictures a person and so christ created for us until christ come there was no there was no path the passover is one which really we celebrate today in a spiritual sense passover and easter and i could get into why they changed the names but don't i don't want to get into that for now but don't worry easter is not pagan there are pagan things that people do on easter But Easter in itself is not pagan. But the Passover. The Passover was a miracle. That pictured Christ. Did it not? Obviously it did. John says. He behold the Lamb of God. That taketh away the sin of the world. It says that he is our Passover Lamb. And if we think about this Passover miracle that happened. What was it? And what did it picture of Christ who has saved us? Well we know that. God had sent Moses to Pharaoh to let my people go, and Pharaoh wouldn't do it, and plagues begin to come. Plagues begin to come. Plagues begin to, to come, and he still wouldn't let him go, and the judgment was coming upon the firstborn and all of the land. And God told Moses to tell the people to take an unspotted, unblemished, innocent lamb to sacrifice it. And to take the blood of that lamb and to put it on the doorpost. And to stay behind the blood. To stay in the house. Don't come out of the house. This is a death angel that says it's going to pass through the land. And God actually says in that passage, And when I see the blood, it's powerful to me. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will spare you. You see, these people had not done anything to deserve that Passover. They hadn't worked their way into righteousness. There they were, a people of God, because they were the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they were believers. Many of them were believers, I'm certain. But they hadn't done anything. And I think about that, you know, when, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, what really is happening is the blood is applied to the doorposts of our heart. I mean, we, st- we still have sin in our life. But when the death angel comes, God says, I will, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. In other words, you're, we're not, we're, I've said this many times, we'll, we'll come to the judgment seat of Christ, and really we already have. But for those that have put their faith in Christ, you don't have to fear. A future judgment. And again, I want to point this out all along the way. What has the people done so far? Nothing. This is all God's doing. Salvation is of the Lord. And that really means salvation is by the Lord. Through the Lord. Of the Lord. That all of our salvation, my friends, get the biblical picture here. I'm showing it to you through the Old Testament. And we're not even close to halfway done. What did Jesus Christ do for me? Everything. Everything. Cleanse me of my sin. Shed blood for me. created a way for me to get to heaven through him. And he will protect and keep me safe, just like the ark did for Noah. Throughout all of my days in this life, when you really come to see the fullness of the gospel, my friends, it's not just that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, but it's that Jesus died for me and was buried for me and rose again for me. And through him, we are more than conquerors because he conquered everything. Our salvation is something that we should, I mean, this should be a rejoicing day. This should be, not just today, every day. When you really look at the fullness of what Christ has done for me, and that's what I'm going to ask in the end. When you think of Jesus, what do you think? Are your thoughts too small? Do you think that Jesus came to help you? Or did he come to save you? He says, Savior is not a helper. Jesus didn't just come and say, here, if you'll, if you'll do this and this, that, and the other, and you know, I'll show you and I'll point you the way and all that, and then by the will, by your own will and by your own strength and all that kind of stuff, maybe you'll make it. No, that's not what happened, my friends. That's not what happened. So the Passover, by the bloodshed, it was a miracle. It was a miracle thing, it was a miraculous thing, it was a spiritual thing. By the bloodshed of an innocent lamb, people who were actually guilty before God would be forgiven. Pardoned. The Rock. If you remember, while they were in the wilderness, and they were coming out of Egypt, and they were on their way to the Promised Land, there was that picture of the Rock, and it said, and God told Moses, "I want you to go up and take your staff and and whip it, basically smack it, crack the rock open, and when the rock cracked forth, in the water it came flowing out of there, and it watered well the whole the whole nation there. And I mean, it was a lot of people. I don't know the exact number of people, but it says six hundred thousand men. Not counting women and children. So well over a million people. But when we look at what did that picture. It's that through his suffering. We have life. The water of life. It actually says that out of your belly shall flow living waters. And it will well up in you as a well of water. That through the suffering of Jesus Christ. You see it was a miracle. Water don't flow out of rocks. Y'all know that. But through his suffering, not through your suffering, through his suffering, we have water. The water of life. The imagery of the manna, I'm going through these really quickly because I have several to cover. Again, what's the point of the manna? It's not just so that people can eat and be full. No, it's showing them something. This is what Messiah, this is what Jesus Christ will do for you. They was in the wilderness and it says manna. Rained from heaven every day. And Jesus says, I am the true manna. I am the bread of life. If you have Jesus Christ, my friend, spiritually, you never hunger or never thirst. It's something that he was showing to the people in a natural way in the past that in the future when Christ comes and dies, he's going to do this in a spiritual way. That we can be fed, my friends, you can be fed and strengthened by Christ every day. Through this right here. There was a verse that stood out to me like three weeks ago. And I thought about preaching it. Where the, the disciples had gone to get food. Because they were all hungry. And they, and Jesus was dealing with something that was more important to him. He was actually teaching the uh, uh, Samaritan woman. And they were like, Master, are you not hungry? And he says, I have bread to eat that you know not of. And I thought about, he says, for my meat or bread is to do the will of my Father. But I began to think about that. Honestly, I began to get convicted about that because I thought, you know what? When we are walking with the Lord completely, you know what happened to Moses? Moses went up upon Mount Sinai and it says he neither ate bread nor drank water for 40 days. It's one thing to fast, but it's another thing to literally take in no substance into your body for 40 days. It repeats that five times that he did not eat bread nor drink water for 40 days. He was sustained completely by God. So much so that when he came off the mountain, it says his face shined and people were afraid to look at him. He was shining with the glory of God. This is a man who you would think, if somebody told you, hey, he's coming, but let me warn you, he ain't ate or drank nothing for 40 days, you would think, oh man, he's right, let's go help him. He's going to be limping. He's going to be crawling. He's going to be rolling down the hill. But no, he came down there in his full strength. And it says they were so afraid of him that he had to put a veil over his face for them to even look because his face shines so bright. Elijah went For 40 days without eating also. And if you remember the story. Before he was making the journey to God. He was going to make a journey to God. He thought I have to talk to God. And the angel said Elijah you don't have the strength to make this journey. And an angel. My friends this can happen for any one of you. An angel he wakes up. And there was it says a cake. Or a piece of bread. Baking on the coals. And the angel told him said eat. I'm not going to get into that too much. But what I told you is true. What God provided for them and we could see it visibly, physically, that manna came from heaven. You can have that. I don't mean that you're literally going to see manna from heaven, but it is a picture of what Jesus Christ will do for his people. That you can have a spiritual bread and that you'll never hunger. And man, we face trials and tribulations in this life, do we not? Man, there are times where we go through the crucible. We're we're in the fire of things. We're in the furnace and we don't know how we're going to make it. And my friends, in those times, stay faithful to the Lord and he'll be faithful to you. I promise you that. You'll be fed spiritually, and spiritual food can carry the natural body hundreds of miles. Spiritual food is much stronger than natural food. So that's one of the pictures, that Christ would feed his people, that he would sustain them. Another one that y'all are familiar with is the serpent on the pole. That they had come into this camp and there was these fiery serpents it says biting people and many people were dying and it was a picture of people being bitten by sin and that there was no cure for sin and my friends there still is no cure for sin except the same cure that there's always been and that's to look to Christ. That is the only cure for sin. Sin still has a death sentence. It always will have a death sentence but the serpent on the pole. What did that, if we was back in time, again remember, we're going back in time and saying, what is Christ going to do for me? Oh, well, he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Oh, he's going to seal me in and I'm going to be secure and he's going to be the driver and I'm going to make it through the flood of judgment. Oh, he's going to lay down his own life for my sake and for my son's sake. He's not going to require that of me. He's going to feed me spiritually and out of my belly is going to flow living waters, spiritual waters. And just by looking to Christ, I can be healed of sin just by looking to Christ. That's what it pictured, did it not? But through that, it says, Everyone that looked upon the serpent on the pole was healed. And, and Jesus himself paints that picture of himself as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever looks upon him would be healed. Are you seeing some of the pictures of the things? What is finished? All of these things are finished. You have all of these things. Don't let anybody take any of them away from you either. You've got all of these things, and we're still not done. The Ark of the Covenant itself was a miraculous thing. It was a picture of Christ. It was a picture of God. The way that it was built, it was built to last forever, had the cedars of Lebanon overlaid with gold. Gold is so precious and and invaluable because it lasts forever nothing destroys it with fire it only becomes more pure and so it was constructed in such a way to last forever and then inside the thing what they put inside the ark the 10 commandments which is it's the law of God it's the heart of God really if we think about the 10 commandments rightly it's not that they exist cuz God wrote them in stone no they they exist because it's who God is it's a out, it's a out, it's a it's a basically written down uh, picture of God's character and of God's holiness. And so inside of this ark, which pictures God, is the Ten Commandments. But what else was in there? It was Aaron's rod that budded. Life! From a dead stick, life can come. But here's the thing that I wanted to illustrate. What would they do when they was? God had told them, go in and conquer these lands. But they was like, we're not strong enough. Stay behind the ark. They would go and set the ark there. And the ark would defeat for them their enemies. It's amazing if you go and read it. We read of many wars during the days of Joshua and skirmishes and whatnot during the days of Moses, even during the days of Abraham. But you rarely actually read of Israel fighting them. God did it for them. And the ark was a very powerful, powerful thing. And Jesus is a fulfillment even of that. I'll, get, I'll start wrapping them up because I have a, a different category of things I wanted to just tell you. But I'm, what I'm wanting you to see today is what did Jesus go and show the disciples on the road to Emmaus when it says he went back and expounded to them all things in the scriptures concerning themselves. I know that Jesus said to them people, hey man, don't y'all remember that serpent on the pole? That pointed to something I was going to do for you. Hey, don't y'all remember the ark? Arch- that pointed to what I'm going to do for you. Don't y'all remember the manna? That's something I can do for you. Don't you remember the rock where water flowed? That's something that I can do for you. That was telling you guys something that I have done. The temple itself, if you remember, Moses was given a vision of a temple. And God said, make a pattern of it on earth. Everything that you've seen up here, I want you to make a pattern of it on earth. And they had this whole system of things. And I've told you guys before that every single one of those things, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, pictured what Christ would accomplish. The whole temple system was the gospel, like I said, illustrated in objects and ceremonies and everything. Everything there, go back and read it. It'll blow your mind. I mean, from the laver to the brazen altar to the showbread to the Holy of Holies to the veil, everything there pictured something that Christ did. But one of the most important pictures that was there were actually told in the book of Hebrews. And that it is Christ is our high priest. Christ our high priest. Why is that important? Well, because on the Day of Atonement, which was today... No one was allowed in the temple but the high priest. No one was allowed to help him do anything. He went. The high priest, this is the picture. He went and made a sacrifice for all the people. He did it all. He did it all by himself. Literally no one else was even allowed in there to try and help the man would have been sin. And so one of the most important pictures of Christ was the high priest in the Old Testament and what he did, that he would make the offering. Now, he had to make an offering for himself also in the Old Testament because he wasn't the true Christ. He was just a picture of Christ. But, my friends, that Jesus Christ has done it all. Every bit. No stone left unturned. Last, as far as types and shadows go, and there were many more than this, but Jonah... Jonah in the belly of the well Jesus himself said there would no sign be given this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well. So shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But you know what Jonah is also. Which brings me to today. What did Jonah actually picture was a resurrection. Because Jonah went down into this belly of this well and was there for three days. But what happened in the end he came out. He came out and he went preaching. And if, if we could go back in time and understand it right, Jonah was not just a picture of the death, but he was a picture of the resurrection. What else was finished on the cross? Well, all of the prophecies concerning Jesus, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would ride into Jerusalem on a colt, on a donkey, that he would be, uh, you know, it's prophesied that God said, out of Egypt will I call my son, and Jesus was carried away into Egypt by Mary and Joseph during the time of Uh, Herod's persecution killing all the two year olds um, that he would be called a Nazarene that he would be called Jesus for he shall save his people that they shall call him Emmanuel because he's God with us that's what it means that they would cast lots for his garments all of the things my friends all of the prophecies of Jesus and what he would do and what they would do to him when he said on the cross it is finished that's what he meant All of it. I don't know if I should even take time on this one. Though it's probably one of the most important. That through his blood he is the mediator. It's called a mediator of a new covenant. Maybe I will spend one minute on it so that you understand. It's not just that the old covenant ended. Like it just died out. That's not what happened. It's that Jesus fulfilled it. It's filled full. It's satisfied. It's not that God broke His Word or even changed His Word. His Word was contingent upon something. And Jesus Christ ended the Old Covenant by fulfilling, satisfying the Old Covenant. What do I mean? Well, the covenant in the Old Testament was to do with the law and keeping the law, which grace, it's been by grace all the way down through there, guys. But... It's important for us to understand this. I really believe that it is to really get the picture of what Jesus done for us. It kind of sets us free from some things when we have it right in our mind. When I say Jesus fulfilled the old covenant, he did it through his life. The old covenant required a perfect, sinless man and there's no, you're not going. You're not going to heaven. That's what it required. Now, of course, grace was there. That's why they had their, the shadow of the, Sacrificing the lamb, looking toward a Messiah that would come, but the old covenant required that you had to be perfect, that you had to, you couldn't turn from the right or to the left from the law, and Jesus Christ did that. But here was another part of the old covenant, which is the law. It said if you do turn, you die. And so the law itself, if we look at the law as a judge and jury, it had a problem against us. There was a tension there between you and the law because it has prescribed a judgment for you. you got to die because you didn't live perfect. And here came Jesus Christ. And He lived perfect. Fulfilled, it says, to every jot and tittle. He fulfilled every single thing in the law. What the law required of you, I've always said it this way. Jesus is the only person that ever made it to heaven the hard way. He did it the right way. Of course it was destined that he would succeed. But Jesus came down and actually did what no other man could. He kept it perfectly. He loved the Father with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He loved his neighbor as his self. He, he honored his father and mother. He never stole. He never killed. He kept the law Literally, to the T, he fulfilled it in love and he fulfilled it in works. And through that, he fulfilled the law and that he kept it. But how did he satisfy it on your behalf? He died anyway. A man who had no judgment over him and no death sentence over him, he died anyway. And so when you think about it, we're in Christ now, right? So when the law looks at us, it doesn't even see us, really. Because in the eyes of the law, so to speak, you've already paid your debt. You died for it. That's the way that it sees us. Do you understand what I'm saying? When Christ died for us, it's it's as though his death was accounted for us in the eyes of the law. The law looks at us now and says, we are now dead and our life is in God, hid with Christ. So he was the mediator through bloodshed of the new covenant. So let me ask you this one more time. Well, first of all, this is what we call Resurrection Sunday. I honestly do want to jump. I really do. I'm not just saying that. What does the resurrection say? Well, it says that everything that Jesus ever told us was true. It tells us that He's the Son of God. It tells us, my friends, that He has power over life and death. He says, I lay down my life and I can take it up again. And no man can take it from me unless I let him. It tells us that every word was true, that He actually was the Son of God, that He really was the substance of all of those Old Testament shadows that was promised. And He offers all of that to you. And my friends, the resurrection is the most... Listen, I'm not just saying this because I'm Christian. I'm telling you the truth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most established historical fact you'll ever look into. It's more sure that Jesus Christ came out of that grave than it is that George Washington was the first president of the United States. There is no doubt. I mean, honestly, there is more written about it. There are more lives that give testimony to it. And the fact, I told my kids the other day, name me one other Jewish carpenter from 2,000 years ago. You can't. And we wouldn't be talking about him today if he didn't come out of that grave. But he did come out of the grave. So, I know that you guys here are believers, and I want you to think about it. Are my thoughts of Jesus too small? Have I missed so much of his story? Have I missed the fact that all of existence points to him? Have I missed that all of history revolves around him and everything that he does? Have I missed that the whole book is about him? Have I missed what it is that he's telling me he has offered me? And then for anyone here who may be hanging by threads of faith, when a boat is available, let me ask you something. Have you really come face to face with the truth that a man lived here on earth 2,000 years ago? And 1,990 years ago today, walked out of a grave. Have you really come to that face-to-face? You see, Jesus is not the kind of person that you can just be like, "Yeah, hmm it's interesting. No, Jesus is the kind of person that you have to make a life decision over. The things that he testified to and the things that he done, you can't ignore them. So what do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? That's the most important thing about you is what do you think of Jesus? And I ask you if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ to do it. His life was told 6,000 years ago. He came and fulfilled it all 2,000 years ago. And last, my friends, I want to leave you guys with this. And this is a very encouraging thing, I think, if you'll hear me for one more minute. Which usually means six minutes. Like I said, we don't have to be in a hurry. Let me leave you with something. Is everything that I've told you true? Or at least does the Bible not say that Jesus said it's finished? Did not all of those Old Testament types and shadows tell us of something that Jesus was going to do when He did come and then when He came that He did them? Did He not fulfill every single prophecy that was ever prophesied about the coming Savior? Yes, He did. Now let me ask you a question. Does the Bible say He's coming back? Yes, it does. Praise God for that, my friends. Honestly. It's more, it's just as certain as every single thing that he already did, that it said that he would do, that he is coming back. There is no doubt about it. I don't care. Earth may go on 2,000 more years. I don't care. But you know what I have? It's as certain as all of the other stuff that I've shown today. I have a home reserved for me in heaven. Praise God for that. Why do I know that? Because Jesus said that I do. And everything that is said and here comes to pass. Everything that is said. He says that you have eternal life. and his sheep hear his voice. And he knows them and he gives unto them eternal life. And that no man would take him out of his hand. And he says my Father which is greater than I. They're in his hand. And nobody's going to take him out of his hand. That, we have, that Christ is coming. And what does it say when he comes? That we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What else does it say? That there's a new Jerusalem, that there's a heavenly city. That My friends, how can we not be the most lively people on earth? If you have put in your faith lock, stock, and barrel in Jesus Christ, you've got the greatest future that anyone can imagine. Well, how do I know it's true? Because every single thing that it said he would do, he has done. It's it's already history in God's mind. I think about this. When John was given a vision 2,000 years ago, and he looked into the future, after the resurrection and the rapture, what did he see? Us! He's already saw us there. He said, I saw a multitude which no man could number of every nation and kindred and tribe and tongue. And I just can't help but think, I hope John looked after there and said, There's Stephen Brown. He's already seen us there, my friends. It's something to be so. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, I get, I start yelling. I get passionate about stuff. But it's actually this is a joyful thing to me. How sure is it? 100% sure. What can change it? Nothing. What can break it? Nothing. Christ will come. There's no doubt. What do we do now? Wait, pray, be patient, and do the work of the Lord with joy. Do it with joy. Knowing that you have an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven. Knowing that, my friends, you got it. Steve, Christy, y'all got a home in heaven. Ain't that awesome? Alan and Bobby, ain't that awesome? I mean, I wish I could get a, just a glimpse of it. You know what happened? Paul got a glimpse of it. He says he was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, he could not tell. But you know what I can tell about him? He was never the same. He saw that and he was like, I, I'm, I'm in the straight betwixt to, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it's needful for me to stay here with you. Once he's seen just a glimpse of what was waiting for him, man, he, he didn't care about anything else in this world anymore. He didn't care about anything. And I hope that by faith, you can grab a hold of that. That it's as certain as everything else that I've told you. Christ is coming. And personally, my friends, I don't think it'll be long at all. I don't think it'll be long at all. I will close with that. I will be done. i was going through this myself i thought man you know sometimes we we take our faith and we act like we're just hanging by a thread of faith here hanging by a thread of hope my friends it's not there's ropes everywhere you don't have to hang by a thread there's not there's not a single reason to doubt anything in here god has proven himself for six thousand years and he will continue to prove himself until the final day We don't have to hang by threads. You don't have to worry. You don't have to question stuff. You know that you have the word of God, that you know you have the spirit of God in you, and you know that what you believe is right, and you know that he's coming again, and so don't let the scoffers and mockers of our day even back you up one bit. You stand there and proclaim the word of God with boldness, my friends, because that's what we need in this day and time. So, I told you it would be seven minutes for my one minute, but I'm done. I'm done. I thank y'all for bearing with me. I went a little bit longer than I normally do. But man, if anybody has anything they'd like to say, praise the Lord for please do.